This is Parsha Panorama, and this week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayikra. Indeed, we open a new Sefer, the third Sefer, the third book of the Chamisha Chumshe Torah. And although we are entering seemingly a new realm in Torah, a realm that is daunting and with fewer stories, but the mission of Parsha Panorama is all the same. We want to have an understanding of everything that's in the Parsha, understand the Parsha's placement, understand the the place of this Parsha in the Torah and in the Sefer. We, uh, it's a new Sefer. We want to understand the placement of this Sefer, what exactly is happening. And despite, again, the lack of stories and the lack of events that we mostly find in Sefer Vayikra, with the contents of each Parsha, we want to have an understanding of, well, if it's not a, a story, then what is it? What is, in fact, in front of us in Parshas Vayikra when we, when we are opening up the Chumash and reading the content? What are we looking at? And what, what is the basis for it? So these are among the things that we're going to consider. Now, obviously, yes, it's a little bit more challenging. It's like switching from your typical Gemara Bava Metzia to a, uh, you know, Mesechus Hazvachim. You know, any of the other um, carbon-related mesechtas and kudshim, or like changing your language, going from Talmud Bavli to Talmud Yerushalmi, like the Daf Yomi world is going to be doing very soon as they, as they switch, transition from Psachim to Mesechah Shkalim. But be that as it may, we have plenty to work with here in Parshas Vayikra, and we just have to put on the right kind of glasses to read it. So, without further ado... Let's try to understand what exactly Vayikra is about. The word Vayikra means, and he called. Now, why is that significant? If we think about the content of Vayikra, this seems like a very strange um, and very unrelated way to segue into the contents of Vayikra. So that's something that I want you to have on the back of your mind as we go through. It's not the biggest question, but it's a question like, well, what is Vayikra? Who's calling who? So, Pasha Pshat um, is Hashem calling Moshe. We'll see why, or at least what's wrong with this Pasha Pshat. I'm not saying this Pasha Pshat is not true. It's absolutely true. But there is a, a stylistic problem, um, and it has nothing to do with the tiny letter Aleph in the word Vayikra. But if you just open up the Chumash, read it like you're opening up a new book, you will be somewhat confused if you didn't know better. You know, most of us know better. But again, consider the fact, consider the possibility that you don't know better, and try to read the Chumash, you'll see that there is a little bit of an issue. We'll come back to that, Ezra Hashem, but just keep it on the back of your mind. What do we know Vayikra is about? So, if we know a little bit, so Vayikra, as I mentioned in passing, we are transitioning to the Parsha of Karbanos. Um, people think of Vayikra, Taras Kohanim, as a book that's devoted all to ritual and temple service. I would say that most of Vayikra is not devoted to that, but plenty of Vayikra is. So Parsha Sacharimos has plenty of that, Parsha Shmini has plenty of that, um, this week's Parsha Vayikra and next week's, next week's Parsha Tzav has plenty of it. Um, and you could argue that maybe the Tumah and the Tahara laws that are going to be coming up in a, in a, in a few weeks, so all of that is related to temple service, but we have plenty of Parshios in Vayikra that have nothing to do with ritual temple service, and so we'll have to try to understand a little bit when those Parshios come along, what exactly is happening there, and what do they have to do with the larger whole of Vayikra. But what I want to focus on, besides for the content of Vayikra itself, which we do every week just to give you every topic that is covered in Vayikra, I want to also understand how we got here. 
Right? We, you know, we take for granted sometimes that this is, yeah, this is the book that we're up to, Vayikra. You know, everyone knows Vayikra is the third book in the Torah. Why is Vayikra the third book in the Torah? Why now are we talking about Karbanos? Why now are we talking about all the things that we have here in Vayikra? So these are things that um, we are going to discuss very, very soon. So, again, what is Vayikra about? Vayikra is about the Avoda, the temple service, and... We'll have to slightly modify this. We're not going to really change the description fundamentally, but I'm going to change the emphasis. But for a basic understanding, it's about karbanos. Vayikra is about karbanos, the things that were offered to Hashem, the animal sacrifices, and not just animal sacrifices. There were other kinds of things that were offered to Hashem in the Mikdash, and they, um, are, they are first described here in Vayikra, the first formal karbanos. We've had karbanos in the past in the Chumash. Kain and Hebel offered karbanos. Chazal tells us that Adon offered karbanos. We know that Noach offered karbanos. Um, and there's a classic on Achlokas Rambam and Ramban about what the nature of a karban is, the mitzvah of a karban. Is, does that have anything to do with Abu Zara weeding us off of it? That's what the Rambam says. The Ramban says, um, you know, the Ramban seriously takes the Rambam to task. The Ramban says, it has nothing to do with Avodah Zarah. It has everything to do with our Avodah Hashem um, and, and how we're supposed to be the Karban. But the point is that the, the, the Karbanos that we found throughout history now are finally being formalized. Um, there were also Karbanos in Parashas uh, Mishpatim, actually. They're um, just, just at the very end by Kabbalah Satora, the, the second part of the story which we spoke about a few weeks back. So we have plenty of that. Um, now again, we're getting the formal laws, the system for the rituals of the Karbanos. So that's the broader explanation. And when we get to the specifics, so what, what exactly is happening here? So we have different kinds of Karbanos. So Vayikra begins with the rules for a Karban Ola, often translated as an elevation offering or a burnt offering. Um, it can be offered from sheep or goats. Um, it could be offered from a bird. Um, it could it could be offered from a cow, I believe. So there are different kinds of carbonos. Um, so we start off with the carbonola. Now, what is the point of a carbonola? So we'll have to get to that. But before we do, section number two, we have the rules for a karban mincha, or the rules of menachos. There's a whole masechta devoted to menachos, which um, can be translated as a tribute, as a present, as a meal offering. Usually, whenever you find a mincha in the chumash, um, it's, it's not often that we find it, but the, we find karban mincha in the context of Kain and Hevel. Um, the earlier place that we find a karban ola um, was regarding Yitzchak at the Akedah. He was referred to as an Ola. He's referred to in Chazal um, as the Ola Tzmima. So we have an Ola. So now we get to the Menachos. In section 2 with the Menachos, we have different kinds. We have the Ma'afei Tanur, um, that, the one that is uh, baked in a pan. We have Alamachavas, which is, oh, sorry, sorry, Tanur is an oven. Alamachavas is a kind of pan. Marcheshes is another kind of vessel. But there, the point is that, that there are different kinds of, of menachos. Now, there's one mincha, there's one special mincha that's actually not discussed in this week's Parsha, but in next week's Parsha, in Tzav. So stay tuned for Tzav, for the missing Karban Toda. And we'll have to talk a little bit about that, that, that special Karban that's missing from, 
from Vayikra. But okay, section two is the Menachos. Section three, we have the rules for the Karban Shlamim, which is often translated as a peace offering. Okay, so that's Karban Shlamim. Um, also an, exp- an expression of completeness, Shalem. So what exactly is so Shalem about a Karban Shlamim? So we'll have to get to that. Then number four, we have the rules of a Karban Chatas. And there are different kinds of chataos. Chatas means a sin. This is probably the most basic carbon to understand um, that you offer a carbon when you do something wrong. Now, not every single avera warrants a chatas, but the ones that do. So, among them, so you can uh, among the different kinds of chataos. So you have the, the special carbon chatas of the kohen hamashiach. If the kohen gadol um, um, commits a avera, there's a special set of rules for his carbon. His carbon's different. So the Kohen HaMashiach has his carbon. There's the Par HaElem Davar Shalt Sibor. This is where um, the leaders of the generation, they, the, the, the leading poskim, if Chas Vashalom, they should ever make a mistake. But the Halacha is known you know, to an individual that, this, that they made a mistake in Halacha. So for a majority of, the, 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 of, of a tribe or of the B'day Yisrael, they sin based on the whim and the, the, the council of the leaders so they bring the Parhel and Dabashit Sibar which literally means the bull of the hidden matter of the congregation meaning something which is hidden from the congregation namely the correct halacha fine so that's the Parhel and Dabashit Sibar also in the Chataos we have the carbon Chatas of the Nasi then the Chumash talks about the carbon chatas of a yachid, who, 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 you know, just a regular individual who doesn't have era. Um, the Chumash refers to him as a nefesh, a nefesh, a regular individual. And then there's the oleviorid, which is a special kind of carbon that's warranted by a select collection of sensitive averos. But this goes, I, I put this under the rules of carbon chatas just because it's about responding to an avera. Oleviorid. Um, it literally means ascending and descending. It's a, there's a sliding scale in terms of um, socioeconomic status. Um, I guess really, you know, mainly the the economic status. That if you um, if you can afford less, so then you you know so then the carbon changes based on your financial uh, stability and all related things to that. So just with a similar thing that we find by the carbon ola, actually, the regular ola. So an ola can be offered from a sheep or, a cat or from cattle. It could also be offered from a bird uh, for someone who has less money. Um, so these, so far, these are the different carbonos. And uh, finally, section number five, we have the rules of a carbon asham, um, namely a guilt offering, Asham is usually translated as guilt offering, though Asham has a has an um, the, the literal meaning has to do with um, emptiness or desolation or destruction. And there's also the Asham Talui, which literally means the suspended guilt offering, which is actually ironically a carbon that's offered in the case where you might owe a chatas but you don't know it. So we have a special Asham Talui, which I guess should be understood not to mean that it's a maybe you're going to owe a menasham. It's maybe you owe a chatas, and this is a carbon asham designated for the time that you might owe a chatas. Meaning that it's not a suffix carbon. This is a vadai carbon. You know, it's it's not like this is a carbon 
just in case. There's a special section of guilt for a person who doesn't know for sure about a chatas that he might owe, an aver that he might have done, that he might have committed, that warrants a chatas. It's not called a chatas taloi. A chatas taloi would mean like, oh yeah, we're waiting in suspense that maybe you owe a chatas and this is a just-in-case chatas. That's not what this is. We are um, committed to this idea that um, in, in the asham taloi, the the suspended asham, that you might, you know, that, that yes, you might have done an avera, but the 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 part of, the part of you that is guilty of the avera, or at least in the doubt of that guilt, so that part of you is owing an asham. And should you find out that you owe a chatas, this asham taloi does not cover for that. This is a special, um, um, you know, special, um, des- specially designated carbon for this particular case. So you have the asham, and then you have the asham taloi. Meaning there are certain Averos that warrant the Karban Asham. But the Asham Taloi is special for what would otherwise be a Chatas, but we don't know for sure. So again, just to give you the list, we have the Ola, the Mincha, the Shlamim, the Chatas, and the different Asham. Okay, so these are the different Karbanas. Now, one of the things that we have to try to figure out is... What exactly is the meaning of all these karbanos? Who offers each of these karbanos? We we spoke a little bit about some of the the, the latter ones, but I want to I want us to understand what exactly is the basis for each carbon, but also the larger picture question that is how did we get here, and what is the meaning of life? So we're going to talk about all of that, um, but 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 you know, you know more seriously. But maybe just as serious because this is really, you know, this is our avoda, whether we're doing it today or not. Hopefully, Bezra Hashem will get to do it tomorrow. Um, you know, Shiach Shakam will rebuild the base of Megdash. But what we have to understand is in the larger scope of things, right? We, you know, we had a whole buildup, you know, two books of stories. So, how did we get here? What exactly is, is being communicated here? So that's, you know, that's something that has to be discussed because what you'll notice is that there actually is a continuation of the story. And th- this is one of the things that, you know, you naturally approach Vayikra and you're nervous, you're scared because, oh no, you know, I, I was, you know, I, the first two books were great and I was like, you know, really pumped to see what would be next. And then all of a sudden, you know, we, we open, you know, this uh, advanced calculus book and I'm like, oh, uh, like, so like, what, what exactly is happening here? Like, like where, where do we go? You know, I, th- I thought it was all fun and games. And then now, now it just gets very technical and, you know, seemingly unexciting. So we have to try to understand how, how exactly we got here. So I actually want to, um, even though, you know, typically when we go through the broader question first, I want, I want, I want that one to hang for now. I want to talk about the different kinds of carbonos. So, again, though, the, the question, the larger picture question, is why are we talking about this topic now? And I will, I, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let some of the question hang, but I'm going to give you a little bit of relief. Because I, I you know, I, I want you to enjoy the rest of this year. So, here's, here's what we're going to do. I alluded to a question earlier about how the Chumash starts off with this, this Vayikra, and he called. 
right? You know, you're expecting a big announcement. And he called. We don't have Vayikra all the time. We take for granted that the name of the book is Vayikra. The book is called, and he called, right? But you know, we you know we think of it as you know, being well. Leviticus is more accurate. It's talking about Taras Kohanim, okay? But Vayikra, and he called. That sounds like it's supposed to be a really big announcement. So we don't seem to get a really big announcement. I mean, we just get the, we just get a bunch of laws. You know, the Torah could have just as easily started this parsha and this sefer with Vaidabra Hashem Moshe Lamor. Here's how you bring karbanos. That's clearly not how it how it did that. So why didn't the Chumash just begin this parsha, this sefer? And it would have been a lot less exciting. Um, but what really is the difference between um, you know Vaidabra Hashem Moshe Lamor? And this Vayikra business, where he's calling out, like, what does the calling out have to do with anything? Okay, and then there's the other question, so, of how did we get here? What are we talking about anyway? We're talking about Carbonos. Okay, why are we talking about Carbonos? So, I'm going to let the first question hang. But the second question is, think back, what did we just talk about? We just spoke about the finishing of the building of the Mishkan. Right, the temple. Vayikra is about the temple service. Ah, okay. So we we know we just spoke about the, the the temple. It was just built. It was finished. Okay. So logically speaking, the next topic should be what do you do inside a temple? And that's where we get to this new parsha, this new book that starts off talking about karbanos. Okay. So now we're getting somewhere. What's with the grand announcement? The whole Vayikra. So we'll come back to that. In the meantime, what are the different carbonos? The different carbonos we said we started off with the rules of the carbonola, and then we we segue to mincha, then to to shlamim, then to chatas, and then to asham. Okay, so again, we 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 just began answering the question of. You know, we understand why Shemos comes after Bereshis. That's a continuation of the story. So how is Vayikra a reasonable follow-up to say for Shemos? So we started answering that as well. Okay, so now let's go back to the Karbanos. What is the reason for bringing an Ola? Who brings a Karban Ola? A Karban Ola is what we might think of as one of the more positive Karbanos. It doesn't seem that anything in particular has to warrant the Ola. You just bring the Ola because you want to. Right, just because you want you, know, you just want to say hello to Hashem, so you say Ola, so you bring a carbon Ola. Then, if that's the case, then what is the difference between bringing an Ola and bringing a Shlamim? Like, who brings an Ola? Who brings a Shlamim? What is the conceptual difference between these two carbonos, which um, are on more of the positive end of carbonos? So Hirsch tells us that the carbon Ola. It represents the mission of spiritual elevation. That's what Ola means. It means making an ascent. I want to make myself more spiritually high, more lofty. I want to reach up. I want to reach for something. I have a goal. That's the carbon Ola. Now, explains of Hirsch, the carbon Mincha. Now, the Mincha, at least from the standpoint of Chazal, the carbon Mincha um, is the carbon that's offered by someone who theoretically would like to bring an Ola, but he just does not have, you know, the, the money is just not there. You know, a bull can be very expensive, even a sheep, certainly all the more so than uh, you know, a sheep than a pile of flour and dough. So it's much easier to bring a carbon Mincha, and if you're someone who's not able to do that, so you bring a carbon Mincha, and that's okay. And 
Chazal tell us, why does the Chumash say Nefesh Kisakriv Mincha as opposed to the carbon Ola? It said Adam, Adam Kiakriv Mikem. Here it says Nefesh. Why? Because a person who brings the Mincha is as if he's giving his soul over. I mean, and I, in this vein, I like to make reference to Hevel versus Kayin. They both brought Minachos. But whose Mincha was accepted? The one who gave over of himself. We don't know qualitatively. Um, um, which carbon was actually better, Cain's carbon or Havel's carbon? But we know relative to what they had, Havel gave much more of himself. So that's what Chazal tells us about the carbon mincha. Rav Hirsch um, actually has something very um, specific to the mincha that's not just the poor man's ola, but he says that the mincha, which again is brought from dough, from flour, it reminds us of the source of our sustenance. So a carbon mincha, in a certain sense, seems to be from a Hirsch as a reality check of sorts. So the carbon ola says, I want to get closer to God. The carbon mincha says, I, I am staying in check. I want, to, I, I want to have a continued recognition that Hashem is the source of my sustenance. Maybe it's a way of saying thank you. It's like making a bracha. Okay, so then what's the shlamim? So Rav Hirsch focuses, when it comes to the shlamim, he focuses on the theme of satisfaction. If you are particularly happy about something that Hashem has done for you, it's not, it's not just, you know, general recognition, Hashem meets my needs, you know, every day. But this is, wow, Hashem had, you know, Hashem really came through for me and I, and I noticed it. So, right, Hashem is always doing things. Maybe you should bring a carbon shlamim every day. But the shlamim, which is the peace offering, it's the offering that even, you know, that, that everyone gets a fair share, right? The Kohen gets to eat from it. Hashem Kaviochel gets to eat from it. Some, you know, some of it is burnt on the Mizbeach. And even the Baal, the owner of the Karban, gets to eat from the Shlamim. It's, it's, it's all about the satisfaction of that, that loving relationship. Contrast that from the Ola, where a person who is going for spiritual, spiritual elevation, and he burns the entire Karban whole, and he doesn't get to eat any of it. You know, you could think of the Ola as a pure immersion in spirituality, whereas the Shlamim is a little bit more physical. It's more um, of a matter of, I guess, I'm sharing with Hashem. Hashem is sharing with me. I'm enjoying my physical world, and I'm sharing my physical world with Hashem, which is a really beautiful thing. Um, you know, the Ola is a beautiful thing. The Shlamim is a beautiful thing. But here's this important contrast. Right, there, there could be that, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, I mean, you can think of the Yom Kippur versus the Purim, the Yom Kippurim, right? Yom Kippur is very, is very spiritual, very lofty, you, you know, we, we're, we're on the madriga of a carbon ola, which is an incredibly beautiful thing. Some people would say that even a higher and more beautiful thing would be Purim, where it's a very physical celebration, and I'm sharing that with Hashem. So, that's something to think about. Okay, so that's the, the ola and the shlamim. Now, something that's really interesting is that we mentioned earlier that Chazal derived a lesson from the word nefesh in its unique connection to the carbon mincha, as opposed to the ola, which um, we said the Chumash used the word adam, that adam brings an ola, a nefesh brings a mincha, right? The poor man who brings his entire nefesh. But something that I noticed is that the word nefesh actually is also used in connection to the carbon chatos and the carbon asha. So, 
Here's, a, here's just a basic question. It's a, really, it's a question on the drasha from Chazal, but this is going to help us segue into the Chatas and the Asham to kind of understand the difference between those two. Right? We've, we've started to differentiate between the positive Karbanos, but I want to talk about the difference between the, the, um, the negative Karbanos too. So, we find, again, we find the word Nefesh. Chazal make a big deal of the word Nefesh when it comes to the Karban Mincha. So we don't, you know, they're a little bit quieter when it comes to the word Nefesh when it's used by the Karban Chatas and the Karban Asham. So what might we be able to learn from the word Nefesh in those two contexts, the Chatas and the Asham? So I want to suggest an idea based on the words of the Ramban. Um, you know, um, a similar idea. We know that the, 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 the mincha we said is offered by the poor individual, you know, I'm keeping Rav on the side for now, is, it's offered by the poor individual who wants, to, uh, you know, who wants to just give something of himself, which is a really special thing. So we might say that it's not just, the, you know, it's, it's not, the, the soul of the individual is not just a, an important aspect of the mincha, but if you think about the karban asham and the chatas, there as well it's very important. That a person should not just think that, oh, I did an avera, and there are practical ramifications in this world for doing an avera, like I'm going to get hit in my finances, that I have to now spend the money to buy a cow, or I have to take a cow from my corral, and i got to give it as a karban. But you have to realize that your soul experiences a spiritual downgrade when you do an Avera. Your body, you know, the Ramchal talks about this at length in his Derech Hashem, how there's a constant struggle between the body and the soul, and one has the ability to drag the other around. And when your body commits an Avera, it drags the soul through the mud. And the soul, if the individual, if it has that spiritual downgrade through the Avera, so if you think about it, it's not just the carbon that's warranted, the carbon chatas or the carbon asham, whatever, for, for whatever the said avera is, but you need teshuva. The soul has to be able to make that comeback and fight past the body. The soul has to be in the carbon. So now we're starting to get a little bit of an understanding of these negative karbanos, but let's get more specific. What exactly is the difference between a karban asham and a chatas? Because right, both are offered as a response to some kind of sin, but what's the conceptual difference? Right, um, you know, halachic differences, there are plenty. You know, that, um, if you look at the chumash, there's a, a very particular list of averos that warrants the karban asham. The karban chatas is much more broad. The karban chatas, usually the rule for karban chatas is if the Avera done b'mezid is kares, then, then b'shogeg it's going to get a karban chatas. Right? Not just every time that you tell Ashen Hara, do you offer, do you, do you need a karban chatas? Um, now I think it's a good time just to, to throw this in because I neglected to mention it earlier. For the carbon ola, it's not, um, so we, we, th- um, we mentioned earlier that the carbon ola is a carbon that you offer when you want spiritual elevation. There are sources that say that the carbon ola is also broad. If someone has machshava of chet, he has thoughts of a sin, so that's a good time to seek spiritual elevation, right? Who would want to, um, to you know, go the extra mile to bring an ola? What warrants that? So if you had a machshava of avera, so then you wanna you wanna go the extra mile. That's when you do that. You know, I kind of think of it as like being like a nazir. With nazir, that's spiritual isolation. When when he sees something that he shouldn't, and now he has that machshava, he has the hirhurim, the thoughts of doing the wrong thing. So that's a that's a that's a good time to strive for higher spiritual elevation. 
So kind of like a nazir. That's how I'm thinking of the carbon ola right now. But anyway, going back to the um, the other the actual real life of Eros. So you have the chatas, you have the asham. So what's the conceptual difference? What what do these even mean? So and j- just um, in terms of the carbon asham. So what warrants carbon asham? I'm not going to get to the entire list, but some of the averos that warrant a carbon asham. Um, include swearing falsely regarding crimes, including financial misappropriation, like me'ila, or things like that. We have plenty of bein adam l'makom in the carbon asham, but there are also cases of bein adam believe it or not. Um, so again, like, like, a, like a crime that, that relates to finances. If you take a look at um, the fifth Rashi on... In Parak Hay, Pasuk Dala, the fifth Rashi there, he elaborates on the different parties that could be involved in a carbon asham between man and his friend, between um, man and the omnipresent. But the point is that, that um, that's where we find the carbon asham. Now the question is why exactly? What's the difference? So going once again back to the Ramban, who has great explanation of all of these things. So we mentioned that the word asham has, a, has an expression of guilt, or really more specifically an expression of desolation, of destruction. In that vein, the Ramban explains that the carbon asham is offered by someone who really rightfully should be destroyed, someone who has done something really terrible. Now, again, the, some of these averis don't necessarily inc- include... You know, like, it's not, it's not like Chil Shabbos, which is really, really bad, and Chil Shabbos will be a carbon chatas. So what, what exactly does a chatas mean? So chatas actually has connotations of missing the mark, a misstep. Um, there's, a, there's a place in, in Tanakh, um, and I think the Ramban mentions it, if you want to look at the Ramban by carbon chatas, where it talks about an arrow missing the target. And the Lashon is Lashon of Chet. Chet means you missed. You missed and you messed up. And that, that, that's, that's what offers a carbon chatas. Now, when it comes to an ush, when it comes to the carbon asham, it's not as much about that you missed. It's more about how we want you to feel guilty, that you should feel the weight of the world on your shoulders, that you should feel that you, you have done something that, as a result, you have become empty. You have become someone who deserves to feel ashamed. Some, you know, my brother of Daniel connects the word asham to being ashamed. Asham, ashamed. And, but the idea, again, is that, for example, when it comes to a carbon chatas, okay, so you messed up and you bring in carbon chatas. You know, you did an avera, you did a beshogeg, right? You, you don't, you know, like it means you missed. Carbon asham, some of these averas with carbon asham are much more malicious. They're much more deliberate. Um, if you if you knew about a, um, uh, about a crime and you were supposed to testify and you didn't testify, if you um, committed some kind of financial crime, so we find some cases of financial crime where it's completely intentional, you have to bring carbon asham, and the asham comes on top of your financial restitution that you have to pay when you owe someone money. You still have to bring a carbon asham. Why? And this is the idea that about a carbon asham that Hashem wants you to feel guilty for what you have done because when you sin to man, you don't just sin to man. There's a third party that you have to rectify things with, that you have to fix things with. 
right? So it's, you know, you you do you you send to someone, you know, a lamasha. We find this in financial averos, even in hilchas tshuva. I think in hilchas nizikin in the Rambam you find this, um, or um, in in gneva v'yaveda maybe. Uh, but you find that you know once you pay your restitution for you know what you owe, but you have to be appe- you have to appease the individual that you committed a crime against. But um, again, it's not just him. But, the, but my 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 point in bringing this this concept in is that it's not just what you did financially, but it's the feeling that you're supposed to have, and the emotion that comes with it, and the effect that you made on someone else. And of course, there's always the third party that is Hashem, right? That there's a me'ila. A me'ila means that you, you that you you committed an affront against Hashem. You didn't just sin to your friend, but you sinned to Hashem too, and therefore you should feel guilty. So, and you should take a look, see this theme in the different averos that warrant the carbon asham. Apparently, something more so than just realizing that you missed and messed up, it's the idea that you should feel really guilty for what you did, and, you, and it's not enough to just pay what you owe, but you should actually feel guilty. So, what we're seeing right now in these different carbonos is that kind of like different tefilos, they all mean something different. They all represent something different. They are all um, brought on account of a different kind of life experience. Some happy, some not as happy. You know, you, you open up Sefer Tehillim, right? Uh, the tefillah is the, is, um, the related counterpart to Carbonos. Um, I don't even know if I would call it a counterpart, but it's the, it's the other side of the coin of a carbon. We spoke a lot about this in most of our minutes, how tefillah is really not necessarily just the second best consolation prize replacement for Carbonos, but tefillah is perhaps the essence of a carbon. But open up Sefer Tehillim and look at David HaMelech's um, compositions, and you will see there are different kinds of life, experience that, uh, life experiences that warrant different kinds of expression to Hashem. And we find all of this in the world of Carbonos. Right? It's, it's, um, it's, so we find it in Tehillim, we find it in Tefillah, we find it in Carbonos. And this all speaks to what exactly the Torah is doing now at this point in time. In most of our minutes, we spoke about the word Vayikra. We're going to give a different dimension to it than what we spoke about then. Vayikra picks up in a very interesting way. Going back to that question of how, in fact, did we get here? So we had mentioned that, okay, this is actually, if you think about it, a natural segue from, from the end of Shemos, which had Vayakel and Pikude, which spoke about the Mishkan. Now we're finding out what to do when you get into the Mishkan. All right, so all the avoda, the avoda Sheba Mikdash, the avoda of the Mishkan. That makes sense. Here's the problem. Vayikra begins, Paragalif Pazagalif. Vayikra el Moshe. And he called to Moshe. And who called to Moshe? Again, isn't that obvious? Hashem called to Moshe. Okay, fine, but if I'm opening the book right now, maybe you'll say, okay, well, I know it's a religious book, I know it's a, a theological book, so it's got to be God. Okay, I guess, but it's a new book, and you gotta, you know, you, you, there, there are certain things that you should clarify. All right, Beratius introduces us to God, you know, so this, this you know, we, we, can, we can be told who, who's the subject of the sentence, right? The very subject of the sentence is not divulged in the opening words. Vayikra el Moshe, and he called to Moshe. Vayidabe Hashem, and Hashem spoke a love to him, meo el moed lemor. Hashem spoke to him from the tent of meeting. 
saying, and then Hashem finally introduces the laws of Karbanos, say to them, The person wants to bring a Karban to Hashem. A person from among you wants to bring a Karban to Hashem. Here's how you should do it. That's the beginning of the Parsha. But again, what's with that opening? Vayikra el Moshe. Any call to Moshe. Who? Okay, yes, Hashem, but still, why aren't, why aren't you telling me that? That's not a way to open up a book. If I started off a book saying, and he spoke to him, he said to him, and he, you, you can't start off a book with and he. I mean, it, it might be a really creative start if you, I mean, if you could find a, a clever way to make that he significant. And maybe that's a little bit of what Vayikra is doing here. So the question is, what, what is that opening? That opening, first of all, the opening word, what does it even mean, Vayikra and he called? He called, sounds like a grand announcement, and what's the grand announcement? What are we waiting for? Well, what, what's the excitement? What's the fireworks of this announcement? If a man wants to bring an animal sacrifice, here's how you should do it. Okay, you hear the crickets? Yeah, it's, it's because, who cares? So here's the answer. You ready? Why does the Chumash not um, tell us immediately that it's Hashem that's calling out to Moshe? That's not how you start a book. And maybe that's the point. The point is that the Chumash does not want us to completely see this as starting a new book. It wants us to recognize that we are continuing from something that we just spoke about. And you'll say, okay, yeah, great, because we were just talking about the Mishkan, now we're talking about the Avodah of the Mishkan, great. But there's more. Indeed. But wait, there's more. What is the more? The more is, look at how Pekude ended. Pekude didn't just end that, oh, the Mishkan was finished. There was a little bit of an eerie kind of an ending. The way Parshas Pekude ended... You know, before the Chazak, Chazak, Venus, Chazak, before that, the Chumash told us that Hashem's cloud finally hovered over the Mishkan. Oh, and that Moshe couldn't go in. No one was able to go in. It was much like Harsinai again. No one can go in. And the cloud overwhelmed the Ohel Mohed, the Kodesh Akdashim, wherever it was, wherever Moshe would have gone, but he couldn't go in. That was how the Parsha ended. And the curtain closes. Parochus closes. So now what? No one can get close. So what do you do? We just created this incredible edifice. We created the place. What are we doing here? Let's, let's, let's backtrack. Parsha Panorama. Here we go. Hashem creates the world. You knew it was coming. Hashem creates the world, a perfect world, with the intention of bestowing the ultimate good upon mankind. And, of course, after generations, mankind failed, and Hashem decided He was going to isolate a single individual through whom the entire world could be blessed as long as you know, He would become a great family, a great nation. And that became Klai Yisrael. They went through their challenges, they went through their hoops, because, after all, you have to have free choice, you have to go through experiences. The ultimate good entails the ultimate bad. That has to exist. There has to be the option for both, and sometimes your actions have consequences. And as a result, Klai Yisrael had to jump through hoops, through Mitzrayim and back, and they made it finally to Har Sinai. Okay, they had a bump in the road, the Chet Egel. But they're going to fix it. The Mishkan. Beautiful. But now that we're back, what do you do? Like, the, the last time we tried to volunteer our services, we messed up big time with Chet Egel. So now what? Right? Adam Harishon had, had a special place with Hashem in Gan Eden, and he messed up. It's really scary to be in a relationship with God. You know, the, the, the one who can kill you in an instant. What do you do? How in the world do you approach Hashem when Hashem's cloud and glory and fire is overwhelming everything? We couldn't get close to Har Sinai. Only Moshe can go. Now even Moshe can't come in. Why? And here's the answer. 
you need a way for Hashem to give you a special invitation. Right? The Chet Egel happened without Hashem's special invitation. Now, Vayikra El Moshe. Now he calls to Moshe. Moshe, who previously could not enter, is now being given the invitation, you can come in and talk to me. And what does Hashem say? This is not just about Moshe. He says, I want you to tell the Bnei Yisrael, Adam Kiakrivmi Kem. Let's say a person, a mortal man, decides he wants to offer something to me and have a relationship with me. You might say, that's crazy. What's God going to do with my animal sacrifice? What's God going to do with my, my, my pile of dough? What's God going to do with my wine libation? And the answer is, if you do it in the way that God delineates that it's appropriate to do so, giving up of yourself, your financial assets, is the way to have a relationship with Hashem. Hashem will, will welcome it with open arms. He will welcome you. Obviously, there are rules. You can't just walk into any part of the Mishkan that you want to. We're going to see that in just a couple of weeks. Or maybe after Pesach. But the point is, once you're following the rules, you have the good will, the good heart. You want to engage, but you're also following the rules, right? You're not doing a chayta egel. That's the most beautiful thing, and Hashem is waiting for that relationship. And then, whatever you're feeling, you messed up and you're going to bring a chatas, okay. You feel guilty about something in particular, you're going to bring an asham. You had a, a wrong machshava, or maybe you just want to get closer to Hashem and bring an ola. Maybe you're particularly happy about something and you want to bring a shlamim. Maybe you, you don't have that very much, but you want to give Hashem something, so you're going to bring a carbon mincha and remember who your creator is. But what's the point? There is a mode for every kind of emotion in every, in, in every relationship between man and God. There is a place for it. There's a halakhically acceptable place for it. You just have to follow the rules. But that's how you engage. That's how you approach Hashem. That's what the Vayikra is announcing. It's announcing who wants to have a relationship with me given everything, given the challenges of having a relationship with God, given the incredible reward of having a relationship with God. The, the, the incredible balance, how difficult it is, but how exciting it should be. Can I go into the Ohel Moed or not? The cloud is there. What do I do? Hashem says, here is the way. And, you know, the whole entire world is a very narrow bridge. Gesher Tzar Mode. And you have to make sure you're, you're walking on the fine line, coloring within the lines, keeping to the rules. But once you're within those guidelines... It's time to give something forth. Your heart, Hashem wants it. We spoke about this in Muslim. It's Rahman Ali Hashem is ready for your heart. He's ready for your heart as long as your heart is within the lines. But He's ready for you to express that love. That's how you have a relationship with Hashem. And we, Klai Yisrael, lead the way in doing that. And by the way, even a Gentile can engage. Right? A Gentile can't bring every kind of carbon, but there are certain carbons that he can. He can bring a carbon olav. He wants spiritual experience. If he wants to convert, he could even bring any kind of carbon. But what's the point? The point is that this is the way, right? We said that the, um, in, uh, some other point in time that the, the Beis HaMegdash, Ki Beisi Beis Tifila Yukarei Lechal HaAmin, right? So this is something that the entire world can achieve blessing through the temple service. This is, this is the apex. This is, what we, this is where we're up to. This is what we've been working towards. Now we're, you know, anticipating that Vayikra, Hashem is giving us the invitation. He's calling out from behind the cloud, now is the chance to go in. And with all that, with this better and more enriched understanding of karbanos, you know, Bez Hashem, we should have the opportunity to offer the karbanos tomorrow. But in the meantime, 
we have a mode, we have an understanding of, of how tefillah works as well through Karbanos. If our, if our understanding of tefillah has not been enriched by this, so maybe, you know, you've got to listen to the share all over again. But it, it's all the same. And hopefully, you know, that gives us something to think about this Shabbos and how we want to apply it to our relationship with Hashem, which is very multifaceted. But Hashem is ready for that relationship, and that takes us through Parshas Vayikra, Bezra Hashem next week, we will pick up with Parshas Tzav, and we will encounter a whole new set of questions. You can be on the lookout. There's some obvious questions, but in the meantime, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. Thanks for joining us here at the Database.